0: John chapter 6, continue our study here in the gospel according to John. And today we come to a familiar account of the feeding of the 5,000. It's a story that no doubt most of us would be familiar with. Perhaps we've read it many times. Maybe we've heard it as children in Sunday school. But there is something that God can teach us through a familiar story right here in the Gospel of John. Let's bow in prayer. Father in heaven, we pray that your word would speak to our hearts this morning. We know that you do speak to us through the word of God. And we pray, Lord, that the word of God will be used to help us to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Perhaps there's someone here that needs to come to Christ for salvation, and we pray even this uh, message will be used of the Spirit of God to draw them to Yourself. And so we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now the story of the feeding of the 5,000 might be better called the feeding of the 20,000 because there were 5,000 men, and according to the other accounts of this event that are given to us in the other Gospels, we need to include some women and children. It's not just a literal miracle witnessed by thousands of people. It's also a parable with many lessons about the all-sufficiency of Jesus Christ to meet the vast needs of the world through His inadequate disciples. And although they were completely inadequate to meet the needs of this hungry crowd, they gave the little that they had to the Lord. And the Lord blessed it and multiplied it so that it could be distributed to the people. Now, this is only, this is the only miracle that's actually recorded in all four gospels. And, uh, I think that shows its significance. It was, uh, Charles Spurgeon that said that it's in all four gospels so that we don't forget how much the Lord can do with little things that are yielded to Him. Now, the feeding of the 5,000 precedes Jesus' discourse on being the living bread. It comes, uh, the living bread comes down from heaven to give us life. And it's also a miracle that points us to salvation. John wrote this sign as he said in, John chapter 20 and verse 31, that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. And so John begins the story here in chapter uh, 6 and verse 1. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And the same uh, time note in John chapter 5 verse 1 mentioned an unnamed feast of the Jews uh it was the uh, If it was the Feast of the Tabernacles, five to six months have gone by. The other gospels inform us that Jesus had sent out the twelve on a ministry tour, and they have come back and reported their experiences to him. Now Meanwhile, they got word that Herod had beheaded John the Baptist, and Jesus and his disciples were so busy that with all the needy people that they didn't have time even to eat. And so Jesus invites them to get away to a desolate place and have some needed rest. And so they took a boat across the northern end of the Sea of Galilee to a spot in the country north of Bethsaida, the home of Philip, Andrew, and Peter. And the problem was the crowd saw them go, and they went around on foot. And as they came to the other side, they were greeted by these multitudes of people. And the disciples must have thought, oh, no. We can't get away from these needy people. Ever felt that way? (laughs) Seems like everybody has a need. And you try to kind of get away from it all, and someone else has a need. Jesus felt compassion upon them and taught them and healed their sick. Now, verse 2 says, And a great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. Now, these people weren't following Jesus because they recognized him as the Son of God who could save them from their sins. Some of them were just fascinated to see his miracles. Others needed miraculous healing for themselves and their loved ones. But overall, their reasons for following Jesus were misguided and superficial. Now it says in verse 3 and 4, Jesus went up into a mountain and there he sat with his disciples and the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. And I'm not sure why John reports the detail of Jesus going up to the mountain other than the fact that the Holy Spirit led him to do that. But coupled with the mention of the Passover, he may want us to be uh, drawing a parallel with, say, Moses, who led the people out of Egypt after the Passover, and later he went up to the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments. That is, Moses did, and God also used Moses to give manna to the people in the wilderness. So there's kind of a parallel there. And so the mention of the Passover being near probably is more than just a time notice. The Lord wants us to see Jesus as a new and better Moses. He fulfilled the Passover lamb, typified. He gave himself as a permanent manna or bread of life. He is the prophet whom wrote, uh, Moses wrote about. Now in this case, although Jesus could have called for manna to float down from heaven, he doesn't do that. One might wonder, well, why not? You know, he could have done it. He's done it before. Jesus would use this miracle and those that follow to train his disciples, to train the twelve in particular. And John shows this to us by seeing how the Lord asked Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that we these may eat? Now the other Gospels report the disciples had asked Jesus to dismiss the multitude so they could go buy uh, their own food. But Jesus pointedly told the disciples in Mark chapter 6 and verse 37, Give ye them to eat. And here John adds, And this he said to prove or to test him, that is Philip. For he himself knew what he was going to do. Jesus was showing Philip and the other disciples of their woeful inadequacy to meet the need along with all his all-sufficiency. And so the miracle teaches us that Christ uses inadequate people who surrender what they have to him to meet the overwhelming needs of others. So we find here four main lessons. Number one, people are needy. You probably didn't know that, did you? Well, I think you know it because you're one of them. I'm one of them. We are needy people, and we are surrounded by needy people. Here there were about 20,000, and they come to this remote place with uh, with many needing healing, and they were hungry, and there was no place to buy food. Their physical hunger, their inability to satisfy uh, that hunger, pictures the spiritual needs of a sinful world which we live in. As Jesus will later tell them, they were following him because they ate their fill of bread, but they should have been focused on the food that endures for eternal life. They are typical of so many in this world who are living for material things that are that will shortly perish. They don't see their need for the food that endures for eternal life. While there is certainly nothing wrong for Christians to engage in ministries of mercy helping people with their physical needs, helping the poor. Our ultimate goal should be to introduce people to the Lord. God can save them for eternity. And so we need to pray the Holy Spirit will convict them of their sins and so they'll see their true need for Christ and rescue them from judgment before they die. I saw one presentation of the gospel where the witness would help people see their need for Christ by walking them through some of God's commandments that they had broken. He would ask, well, have you ever lied or stolen anything? Well, yes. Uh, What do you call someone who lies and steals? A liar, a thief. How about you? Have you ever taken God's name in vain? Well, yes. The Bible calls that blasphemy. So you're saying you're a liar, a thief, and a blasphemer. Then he goes on to ask, have you ever been angry with anyone? Well, yes, many times. Well, Jesus said that God views such anger as murder. Have you ever looked on someone with lust? Well, yes, of course. Jesus said to do so is to commit adultery in God's sight. So you're saying you're a liar, a thief, a blasphemer, a murderer, and a multiple adulterer? How do you think it will go when you stand before a holy God in judgment? It's only when people see how spiritually needy they are that they'll cry out for Jesus to save them. But it's not only those who are spiritually in need of salvation, but also those who are saved who are spiritually in need as well. I wonder this morning, how about you, Christian? Christian? How do you think it will go when you stand before a holy God at the judgment seat of Christ, when you are judged for your works while you've been, while you've been here on earth? Now we know that we're not saved by works, but we are saved unto works. So how will you fare when God, you stand before God at the judgment seat of Christ, and He judges you for your works? Do you think your pride Your neglect for the things of God, your apathy concerning spiritual things is going to fare well with the Lord. How much will be wood, hay, and stubble rather than that which counts for eternity? You know, we're needy too, aren't we? It's not just this sinful world we're living in. It's you and I this morning, as even believers, who are needy people. It's not just the unsaved who are living for the temporal things of this world it's you and i as believers people are needy secondly we are inadequate now i'm speaking as the lord's people we as christians are inadequate in ourselves to meet people's needs as i said the other gospels report that the disciples their easy solution to this multiple a multitudes need for food was Hey, let's just send them away so they can buy their own food. You know, we got several places down the road here. Just send them down there. Actually, there weren't any place to buy. There was no Walmart. There was no uh, convenience stores. Anybody that could sell food for 20,000 people. Well, the disciples' solution was, Hey, let's just send them away and they can... Get their own food. But remember, Jesus told them, "'Give ye them to eat.'" Specifically, the Lord asked Philip, "Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat?' Now, it would have been great if Philip would have responded, "'Lord, you know, I've seen you turn water into wine. "'I watched you heal the royal official's son from a distance. "'I saw you heal a man who was unable to walk for 38 years. "'I watched you perform dozens and dozens of miracles.'" Surely you can provide bread for this hungry multitude, even as God provided manna in the wilderness. You know, I think I would have probably responded like that. (laughs) Sure. Would you have responded like that? No. I would have responded just as Philip did. Let's see here. I get out my calculator and start calculating... Let's see, I'll do the numbers here, and I'll calculate without Christ. I'll do the numbers without considering the Lord's power. I'll conclude with business-like efficiency. It's going to take eight months of salary of a working man. That's the 200 penny worth. And it's not sufficient. It's not enough. We can't do it. Can't be done. I just run the numbers. The problem was, no one had 200 penny worth, and even if they did, it wouldn't be enough. And even if they had had more, there weren't any supermarkets just down the road that had enough bread to feed 20,000 hungry people. And how often we throw up our hands and we conclude, we can't do it. We cannot do something for the Lord because we calculate that we are inadequate We have inadequate resources. We can't do it. Well, then comes along Andrew in verse 9 and says, there's a lad here. He has five barley loaves and two small fishes. Hey, that's good so far. But then he adds, notice what he adds. But, he adds a but there, but what are they among so many? I'm not sure why Andrew even bothered to bring this boy and this little lunch to Jesus. Maybe the boy had offered it and Andrew felt obliged to acknowledge the boy's food intentions. But his comment here, but what are they among so many? It seems to reflect his embarrassment. He was embarrassed to even bring this boy to Jesus. Now these loaves by the way, are not the size of our loaves of bread today. Uh, They were just probably small, flat barley cakes, probably about the size of a small pancake, maybe. Barley was the food of poor people. It was the food of animals. And the two fish, they were probably either pickled or dried small fish, kind of like sardines. But Andrew's comment emphasizes the obvious inadequacy. What are these for so many people? So we find people are needy, but the Lord's people are inadequate to meet those needs. Notice thirdly, Jesus is all-sufficient. Christ is all-sufficient to meet people's overwhelming needs. Jeremiah Prayed in Jeremiah 32, 17, Ah, Lord God, behold, Thou hast made the heaven and the earth by Thy great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for Thee. If Jesus is the Lord God in human flesh, creator of heaven and earth, then there would be nothing too difficult for him. John brings out Christ's all sufficiency in at least five ways. Number one, Christ is in control. Christ is in control of every situation. Verse 6 tells us, and this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Now Jesus never tested anyway in the sense of testing them to do wrong. God doesn't tempt you to do wrong, but he does test his servants so that they can learn to trust him more. And as someone has observed, it was not bread that he was seeking from Philip, but faith. John's comment here, for he himself knew what he would do, shows us that Jesus wasn't stumped. He wasn't asking the disciples, hey, why don't you get together and brainstorm this and see how you can fix this perplexing problem? Jesus was in complete control. And no problem that you or I will face will ever take God by surprise. It will never cause Him to wonder, how in the world am I going to solve this one? Christ is in control. Secondly, Christ is concerned. Now this isn't a concern of worry, but a concern of care. More care about needy people than we are. More caring about needy people than we are. The disciples wanted to solve this problem by sending the multitude away to buy their own bread. Let them fend for themselves. That's their problem. They were more focused on their own need for a break than they were the multitude's need for food. And they viewed this hungry multitude as a bother but Christ was concerned for them and he wants us to learn to look at the needs of people through his eyes and he has compassion for them and he delights to meet their needs thirdly Christ is not limited when philip came up with his 200 pennyworth estimate of course he didn't have 200 pennyworth jesus didn't say well Why don't you take a collection from the crowd? See how much money you can raise. No. When Andrew offered his apology, but what are they among so many? Jesus didn't say, well, I'll bet there's more food in this crowd. Let's just get everyone to share. You see, Jesus wasn't limited in any way for a meager lunch. And he isn't limited today by the fact that we don't have enough money or time or talent to get the gospel to the whole world. Did he not tell us, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel? He said, we can't all go. But that's his commission to us as a church. Someone has pointed out the meeting of need. The meeting of a need is not dependent upon the supply in hand, but on the blessing of the Lord resting on the supply. Christ isn't limited. And he's not limited in in today in getting the gospel to this world Fourthly, Christ does not barely meet needs. John draws a contrast between Philip's that every one of them may take a little, in verse 7, and Andrew's, but what are they among so many, in verse 9. And Jesus distributing to the people as much as they would, in verse 11. It reminds us of when God sent the manna to the Israelites in the desert. And we read that in Exodus chapter 16. It says, they gathered every man according to his eating. And it emphasize the sufficiency of the manna. The text repeats it in verse 21 of chapter 16. And they gathered it every morning, every man according to his eating. Nobody went hungry. When Jesus fed the 20,000, everyone was satisfied and there were 12 baskets full of leftovers. Paul wrote in Philippians 4.19, but my God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Christ doesn't just barely meet the need. Christ is sufficient. Christ is sufficient not only for physical needs, but spiritual as well. This isn't just a story about feeding hungry stomachs. This is about spiritual satisfaction that Jesus brings to all who feed on Him as the bread of life. And He says in verse 35 of the same chapter, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. And as Paul put it in Ephesians 1-3, God blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. I wonder, are you satisfied this morning with Jesus as your living bread? When Jesus was dealing with the Samaritan woman back in chapter 4, the disciples, they were focusing on the physical. They said, Rabbi, eat this lunch that we brought to you. But Jesus was focused on the spiritual food of doing God's will. And here the disciples are still looking at things on the physical plane. We all tend to do that, don't we? Everything seems to be on the physical. How do I feel physically? How much money do I have physically? How much uh, can I do physically? How much money will it take to buy bread for these people? This many people. And the multitude was also focused on the physical. After this miracle, they wanted to take Jesus by force and make Him a king. He said, this man can solve our economic problems. But later, Jesus rebukes them because they were only interested in filling their stomachs. He had no, they had no concern about the food that endures for eternal life. And even so today, people will come to Jesus because they have a need for physical healing, or they need a job, or they need him to solve some pressing problem, and he can meet those needs, and he often does. But he wants us to see that we all have a deeper need than that. We need to be reconciled to the holy God. And Jesus provided the only way for that to happen by giving himself on Calvary's cross. No matter how great your sin is this morning, Jesus is more sufficient to give for forgive your sin and save you from God's judgment. So this miracle shows us that people are needy. And that the Lord's people are inadequate to meet those needs. But Jesus is powerfully sufficient to meet the needs of all people, especially their need to be reconciled to God. So how does he do it? That brings us to Christ meets needs. And we could say this in four ways that he meets needs. Number one, he, Christ uses people. Now, John does not specifically state what the, people, what the other Gospels state, that Jesus used the disciples to distribute the bread and the fish to the people. Uh, that's all of a part of this uh, event here, this act, uh, this happening. And the other Gospels kind of give us some of those details. But John does show us how Jesus involved Philip and Andrew. And it's only from John that we learn that the five loaves and two fishes came from a boy's lunch. As I said, Jesus easily could have prayed and called down bread from heaven. He, w- he didn't have to involve Philip. He didn't have to involve Andrew. He didn't have to involve the little people or the little boy uh, or any of these people. But he uses people. And he used people here, including a boy with his lunch, to meet the needs of other people. And if you know Jesus Christ this morning, he wants to use you to meet the needs of people. Christ uses people, but also Christ uses inadequate people. We've already kind of stated this, but Jesus could have looked around the crowd. He could say, well, hey, you've got a lot of money, and you've got money. Maybe we can get this 200 penny worth together, and we can get enough to buy. No, He didn't look around for the obviously rich and appeal to them for funds to feed the crowd. He could have asked those with plenty of food to share. Maybe there were others who had brought a lunch too. But instead, he uses people who are painfully inadequate to meet this overwhelming need. And if you think that you're inadequate or you're not competent to serve the Lord, well, you're not ready to serve Him then. Someone asked Robert Morrison, one of the first missionaries to China, do you really expect to make an impact on that great land? Mr. Morrison answered, No, sir, but I expect God to. Hudson Taylor, who followed in Morrison's footsteps, said, All God's giants have been weak men who did great things for God because they reckoned on God being with them. God, by the way, God only uses inadequate people. But then notice, thirdly, Christ uses inadequate resources. The boy had to give up his lunch, not knowing for sure whether he would go hungry or not. And he ended up eating more than he gave up. But we can only give to others what we have first received from God ourselves. We can't give, and the Lord won't use the 200 penny worth we don't have but He will use the inadequate resources that we do have if we yield them to Him. What has the Lord given you? Has God given you anything? What has He given to you? You say, well, it's not much. Remember, it was a slave who had only one talent, who buried it and didn't use it for the master. And if you think you're just a one-talent Christian, make sure you yield that one talent to Christ and use it for His purpose. Christ will use inadequate resources. And then fourthly, Christ provides more than enough. Unlike the manna which spoiled if they gathered too much. Remember in the Old Testament and the manna came down, if they gathered more than they needed for that day, whatever... More they gathered would spoil. But in this miracle, the Lord directed the disciples to gather the leftovers so that nothing would be wasted. You ever wonder what happened to the leftovers? (laughs) Maybe they had leftovers for the next week. I don't know. But it was more than enough, wasn't it? And even though He can provide more than we need, we should not waste it disciples could have said, "Well, you got more left, just throw on the ground the birds'll eat it. No, they gathered it up, and this shows us the Lord provides for those who serve him and there were twelve disciples, and there are twelve baskets full of leftovers, maybe a leftover box for each one. Now we hear a lot about burnout today, especially pastors, missionaries, and we all need to have some rest and from time to time and if we're feeling burned out in serving the lord it's likely we've been trying to meet others' needs in our own strength we're trying to feed the multitude with 200 pennyworth that we don't have and it isn't sufficient for everyone to have a little but if we came away tired yes but with the satisfaction of the fullness of christ in our souls then the lord's blessing is on us Again, I want you to remember, and we'll get to this later in this chapter, how the, the bread is a picture of Christ. He himself said it was a picture of Him. And when we yield to Him, our inadequate abilities and the gifts He uses as He pleases, He will satisfy us beyond measure. And we'll have food to eat that others know nothing about, as Jesus told the disciples of in chapter 4. Now, I have two concerns in this message. First, if you've never tasted Christ as the living bread to give you eternal life, then you, that is your biggest need this morning. That is your main need. Your main need is not for Jesus to heal you or to give you a job or to provide you with a, a, a wife or a husband. Your main need is to come to Jesus for eternal life. And just as you eat the bread to sustain your physical life, even though you don't understand how exactly how it works, you need to trust Christ for eternal life. He promised in verse 35 here of the same chapter, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. And secondly... If you've trusted Jesus Christ, my concern this morning is that you offer yourself to Him to use, uh, to meet the needs of others. We always have many ministry needs. Sometimes there are those who work behind the scenes, kind of serving, but also the Lord wants us to use what we have. Even though we think, well, I can't do much. My resources are inadequate. God wants to use you. Whether to fellow believers or to those who don't know the Savior. Don't live for yourselves. Live to be used of God and you'll be satisfied with a basket full of living bread for yourself. Let's pray.